Hi there, my name is Randy Ham, and I'm the pastor of Vernon First Baptist Church, and it's my privilege to welcome you to our podcast. We've taken the summer off as we had a great series, Seeking God Together, going through the spiritual disciplines, but we did not take the time to put the sermons on on a podcast, choosing to focus on other aspects of renewal and refreshment over the summer than this technical edition, but we are happy to do that again this fall as we start a new series on First Peter, Flourishing in the Fire, as Peter challenges us to know our identity in the midst of suffering and potential and definite persecution for his people. And maybe for us as well, how do we know who we are? And how do we live that out in the midst of trials, grief, and struggle? So Peter is going to to, uh, teach us those things this fall. And uh, we encourage you to turn to 1 Peter in your Bibles right near the end. And we're going to start with the very first two verses as Peter shows us that he finally gets it what he didn't get when he was with Jesus, even in the book of Acts, he has definitely figured out and wants to share with us some wonderful things. So join in, and we look forward to this journey together with you. Thank you very much. Well, we come to that time in our service where we turn to God's word. And today we are starting a journey with Peter into the first of his two letters. The two letters that he wrote. Well, did Peter write letters? Well, we'll explore who this Peter is, why he wrote this letter in particular, 1 Peter, and to whom. And each week we're going to dive deeply into the message God has for us through it. So you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, if you have your Bibles here or in your pew Bible. It's right at the very back, right at the very back. I know we spend a lot of time in Hebrews, so if you remember that, it comes pretty much right on the heels, James and then 1 Peter. But just before we get to John's and Revelation. So here the word of the Lord in 1 Peter 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world or exiles, your, your translation might say, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's my best on those. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood grace and peace be yours in abundance. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, let's pray as we come to this passage. 
Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I ask for your empowering and that you would speak to us your words. You know exactly what we need to hear today and the message you have for us. So may our hearts be soft and open, ready to receive it. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, who is this Peter? Well, Peter, I think many of us know, but if you don't, that's all right too. He is one of the first disciples or followers of Jesus. And he is quite the character. He was a fisherman. Blue collar. Extra blue when you're a fisherman out on those waters. Rough around the edges and eager. I don't know if it's only Canadians that use the term eager beaver, but he was eager. When we first meet him, his name is Simon. Also, uh, some might say Simeon. That's the Greek version of the Hebrew Shimon, Shimon, which means listen or hearing. Listen up. It was the most popular name for Jewish boys in Roman Judea. Makes sense, eh? If you could call your boy and remind him to pay attention at the same time, hey, that just works great. Listen up! Listen up! Come here! I think it's great. It comes from the same root as the Shema. You know where that comes from, remember? Shema prayer. Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God is one God. Shema. Shema. Same. Listen. Hear. So he was called Simon. But we know him as Peter. So Jesus comes along and calls him the rock, which in Aramaic, the regular language of the day, idiomatic language, is Cephas or Kephas. And of course, in Greek, it is Petros. It was when Peter's brother, Andrew, brought him to Jesus, that Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. That's from John. John tells us that. So this, this is why you will see Simon at times, Peter, or Simon Peter, Simon the Rock, which is what they would be translated as, or even Cephas, Cephas, Kephas. On occasion, as you read, all those different names will come up. It's all the same guy. And you know just how much I love this guy, Peter. <laughs> oh, if you've been around here in these last five years, as we've gone through Mark, you've heard me talk about him. As we've gone through Acts, you've heard me talk about him. I just love him. Mainly because he just got it wrong so much of the time, right? And yet, was still loved by Jesus. Jesus just loved him, chose him, special to be used by Jesus, even in leadership. There are a couple of great Peter moments. Walking on water, only to sink. I love this one. Hey, Peter, what are you doing down there? <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, 
uh, don't wash me, Lord, he says, right? When Jesus is washing their feet, he comes in all dirty. He's like, oh, don't wash me. Oh, oh, and, unless you wash me, uh, nothing. Okay, wash all of me then. Oh, okay, no, you don't, you don't need to wash all of me? Okay, I'll try to find somewhere in the middle. There's that eager beaver coming out, right? And while Jesus feels the anguish of going to the cross, he's preparing to go to the cross. He feels this anguish. I've got an image here. Let's see. Is it not showing up? Oh, well. Uh, as, he, as he's facing, Jesus faces the cross. Peter, in that garden, responds by pulling out a sword. Where did he have this from? I don't know. A knife, something. And he starts cutting off ears. He was ready for a revolution. Don't you take our king, our Lord. We got, Jesus has a revolution here. And we're going to make it happen. Unfortunately, it probably looked a lot different at that time than Peter thought. And he sees, he sees that eventually. Okay, then we have Jesus saying, you're going to deny me, Peter. And what does Peter say? Me? Deny you? Three times? No, never. Cock-a-doodle-doo. The rooster crows, oops. Peter got that one wrong. And then, even after the resurrection, Peter allowed himself to be swayed by people in power. He started to catch on to what Jesus was up to, the incredible grace of our Lord. And yet, Paul tells us, as he writes in Galatians, he talks about, he talks about having an interaction with Peter. And we'll see if, can I, will this work? Maybe you can advance to the, the next, something's frozen there. All right, well, we'll see. I can, I can say, we'll see if they can fix that up there. Something's wrong. This is what happened when Paul comes to Peter. And he, I love this, is Eugene, Pan, Eugene Peterson's message translation. Later, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face -face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line, Paul writes. Here's the situation. Earlier, before certain persons had come, from James, Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews. Peter understood God's grace. But when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that had been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept along in the charade. But when I saw, again, this is Paul speaking, when I saw that they were not maintaining a steady, straight course according to the message, I spoke up to Peter in front of them all. So Peter got it wrong, often got it wrong. What a mess. And isn't that such a comfort? I find it to be such a comfort that Peter would get it wrong. So that's why, to me, it's actually it's a little bit of a surprise, as you get to know Peter, that there is this beautifully written letter 
later on in the New Testament. It's, of course, we must understand that this is decades later. He's learned a few things. Enough that he decides he could write a letter, especially when he finds out about the number of followers, the number of followers in Jesus in a certain area, modern-day Turkey, and the followers are really struggling. There's lots of persecution for their faith. They're having a really hard time, and he decides he's going to write to them. He had traveled through that area. You can see a sort of that might be one possibility of his path, and he thinks, well, maybe I can write to them. Now, he's not quite as prolific as Paul, who writes specific letters to specific cities and situations. Peter, he decides more of the, the wide net idea, right? Let's write to a whole bunch of them at once. That's why you have writing to Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, oh yeah, and Bithynia. You guys are special. I'm going to include you too. He just sort of does the wide net cast. Let's, I'm going to write to all of you much easier that way. Yeah, you'll, you'll read it. You'll read it. So we find out a couple things later on in the letter about specifically this letter. Im- important things. That he's writing from Rome. He actually says Babylon. But for them, that's a code for Rome. And we see that he gets Silvanus or Silas to help him write this letter. Now we're not sure if this is the same Silas that we know from Acts. Remember Paul and Silas in the prison? Silas. It could be that same Silas, but we're not sure, and that's all right. But I tell you, it makes sense why the letter sounds so good. Because I wouldn't really expect Peter to write such a beautiful letter. But if he gets someone to help him, well, there we go. You know? The truth he wants conveyed is clear, and I believe that's from him. And yes, he is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, as he was when he spoke in Acts. But I think he probably had a little bit of help to make it sound a little better. And I think we see in this letter that Peter finally gets it. He finally gets it. Someone said to me when they saw the slide earlier, they said, oh, does he get a fish? Is that what he finally gets? No, but he gets something else. Let's see what he gets. See, time and time again, Peter struggled with what Jesus was on about. What was this kingdom? Remember, he was ready to go to violence to make this kingdom. Come, let's start this revolution, Jesus. Let's get you on the throne. Let's get rid of these Romans, this oppression, this struggle that we have. Let's be done with it. Ready to act. Jumping in. Sometimes very literally, as he jumped out of the boat into the water. But sometimes he's not so quick to understand. And granted, there were times he is the one that when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? He was the one that said, you are the Messiah. But even then, was Peter, Peter a man of peace, like Jesus was? A man of grace? Did he understand his desperate need for God's grace to work in his life? Or was he ready to keep chopping off ears? I think he was probably aiming for more than that, but to see Jesus' kingdom flourish. Trying whatever he could to avoid suffering, the suffering that he and his people were under. Or could he start to see that there is a flourishing that happens in the midst of suffering? So why does he now think he has a word for all these churches? 
as they undergo suffering in the form of persecution for their trust? Should they rise up with swords? Do they need to fight the powers over them? Well, these verse two verses are really only a greeting, a classic way to start a letter in his day. We would see Paul saying similar things, but it also gives us a very rich knowledge of Peter's understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Very rich. And it starts with, to the elect. To those who are chosen. That's what that word means. Those who are called out. Just like Abraham was chosen. Their minds would go right back to that initial calling of Abraham to go into a strange land. Now, if you think I'm going to try to unpack a doctrine of election, let me just say this. Peter doesn't, so perhaps we shouldn't either here. John Calvin does say this when he was doing a commentary here. He says, while each is certified of his own election by the Spirit, he receives no assurance concerning others, nor are we to be too inquisitive. That's John Calvin. So let's not all be worried about who's elect and who isn't. That's not what this is about. This is about understanding our own chosenness to God's elect, and also, he says, strangers. Strangers in the world, or exiles, is the word here. Exiles. The people, the Jewish, those of the Jewish background would understand that. Wouldn't they? We just talked last week about Daniel, exiled in Babylon. They knew what exile was. Literally, this term means someone passing through residing in a strange country to subsist, a stranger, a sojourner. Now, this is not just about them being in the strange land, which is now modern Turkey, Asia, Galatia. This is about them as the people of God, citizens of heaven, being in the world. And they would have caught on to that. In fact, we see time and again through this book that he's not talking just to Jewish followers he's talking to all followers that was a big part of what peter's shift had to had to happen and he's speaking to them all and now we understand this as the world around us changes we begin to feel more and more what it's like to be a stranger don't we things change i know i heard a an interview just this week about the queen from nt Wright, and she was at a at a service where they were taking communion. And she was very used to always coming forward and kneeling and receive communion. And they did it much like we did last week. We come forward and just receive it and go back. And she turned to uh, Dr. Wright, Tom Wright, and said, what's going on here? Because this isn't the way it's usually done. And he said, well, things change. And of course, for him, it, it, they had done that for quite a while already. So the world changes around us. And we can begin to feel like we're a bit of a stranger in it. They felt that every day, every moment as Christ's followers. They were citizens of heaven in a very Greco-Roman civilization. A very select few. When anyone around them said, Lord, they would be talking about Caesar. 
There was only one Lord in the exile's mind, in the, these uh, strangers. What about kings? When the king came up, they knew they were talking about the king of kings, whereas those around them would think Caesar. They, like Peter, when he first met Jesus, they're wrestling with their sense of identity, their intense emotions. And he wants to ground them with this greeting so that they are prepared for everything else he has to say. <clears throat> Do you feel downtrodden, exiled, wronged? Do you feel like an exile at times? Wronged by those around you? <clears throat> you may feel that you have to fight back like Peter did. Pick up your sword. Pick up your voting ballot. Not that there's anything wrong with voting, but if we use it as a sword, if we use it as a way to fight, maybe we need to rethink. You may feel insecure. I think Peter did at times. Insignificant, confused. feel overlooked. But what Peter wants you to know, just as he wanted them to know, is that you have been chosen. You have been chosen by God the Father. When the creator of the universe picked teams, you weren't left on the side. God wants you on heaven's team. That's where God wants you. And you might think, but I don't have what it takes. I make mistakes. I get angry too easy. I avoid conflict. I get up to preach and I don't bring any water when I got a tickle in my throat. I mess up. You name it. Peter had preached through these regions. I think they knew his story. He told them how he was the rock that Jesus was going to build the church on, but sometimes he was a little bit more like quicksand. I love this cartoon. It's a great cartoonist, Tom Gold. If you have faith, you can walk on water with me, Simon. Amazing. Uh-oh, Simon, looks like you're sinking like a rock. Ah! Hmm. And upon this rock, Jesus! <laughs> I love it. Upon this rock that sinks like a rock, Jesus is going to build his church. Again, that hope that it gives me. For when God calls us, we are not left on our own to figure things out. It's not about how much effort we put in. Do we get it right all the time? Boy, i got to figure out no, verse 2 here says, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. God's very own empowering presence, the Spirit is at work in us. A special work. In Greek, the word is hegiosmos. No, not osmosis. Doesn't quite work like that. Similar in some ways, though, I think. Hegiosmos is making something holy, sanctifying it. Practically speaking, 
It's being progressively transformed by God's Spirit into the likeness of God. Quite simply, to become more of who we were created to be. That's all. To bear God's image. To be like Jesus. That's what it's about. Which is what Peter gets to here. Halfway through verse 2. To be obedient. To be obedient to Jesus Christ. And sprinkled by his blood. Again, it's not by our own power. But because of what Jesus did for us. That's what he means by sprinkled with his blood. We know we aren't worthy or able to be in God's presence. We know that. Peter understood that. Time and time again reminded of it. Let alone join in God's work. But we have the opportunity to be clean before God. To receive the gift that Jesus offers us time and again. That he paid the price of all our waywardness our brokenness, our sin. It's Jesus who purifies us and makes us like himself. It's nothing that we can do. What a great gift. What a wonderful rescue. And this is why Peter ends this opening with grace and peace be yours in abundance. He lacked both of these incredibly, didn't he? You read through the Gospels. You read through Acts. And if you, on occasion, sometimes lack grace or peace, well, then this message is for you. You might always feel a little insecure. Like you're about to be found out. Do I have to put on this show? I gotta try to keep this mask on. We can let the mask fall away. We can relax before our God. This word abundance is plethano, the word we get plethora from. A large or excessive amount of something. Like we have a plethora of burgers cooking on the grill soon for a barbecue this afternoon. The Greek here means properly made full, especially to maximum capacity. This is not just a greeting. Peter really wants his readers, and he wants you to know, to not just know, but to intimately experience God's grace properly, to the maximum capacity, and to know God's peace, the wholeness of Jesus, shalom, completeness. That's what this word pieces that you'd be full of peace what a gift that would be and these two grace and peace are intricately tied together i love how thomas merton says the peace produced by grace is a spiritual stability too deep for violence it is unshakable are there times where you're shaken where you're missing that peace Maybe we need to understand more deeply God's grace for us. That we might be able to trust him. Martin Luther sees it like this. Grace remits sin 
and peace quiet the conscience. Sin and conscience torment us. But Christ has overcome these fiends now and forever. And he goes on to say, only Christians possess this victorious knowledge given from above. These two terms, grace and peace, constitute Christianity. Well, Peter is going to unpack all this for us over the next five chapters, and we're going to take the fall to do it. It doesn't take too long to read it, actually. And I would encourage you, maybe in this fall, each week, turn to 1 Peter. Give it a, give it a read through. Let this seep into you. Say, Lord, I want to know more about your grace. I want to understand this peace. I, I have trouble sleeping at night. Let me know your peace. For we may feel uncertain about some things, but in the midst of the fire of this world around us, we can flourish. We don't have to strive after some unattainable reality, but merely receive the grace that God offers us. Live in the peace of Jesus. And he will work in us this work, if we open ourselves to him. So trust Jesus. Give him your anxieties, your fears, your insecurity, your anger, your pain. He can't wait to make you more like him. Peter finally gets it and invites us to get that as well. Let's pray before we sing our final song. Jesus, I thank you so much for Peter that you chose him. You knew exactly who he is. And I know that he looks back and shakes his head at himself, I'm sure. But what hope for us that at times we don't get it. At times we don't understand your grace. We haven't received it. We don't offer it to others. At times we don't get your peace that you offer us freely to trust you. And we choose anxiety, fear, control when we could have your peace. So, oh Lord, I pray in the name of the Father, our Heavenly Father, who sent his Son, Jesus, so that we could see it, see exactly who we were created to be, be like Jesus. And then you gave your Holy Spirit to empower us in this triune work so amazing, so glorious for us to be who we were created to be, to flourish in the midst of the fire, to praise you in the midst of suffering, to become more like you. We pray that you would do your work in us and that we receive it joyfully. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stay standing for our closing benediction. And I want to read something from Nadia Boltz-Weber, pastor and author, for our benediction. She says, let's see if we can get it up here. Oh, yeah, I'll let you get it. Thanks so much, Helen. Fear not, brother.
brothers and sisters. God, who is full of grace and abounding in steadfast love, meets us in our sin and transforms us for God's glory and the healing of God's world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, your sins are forgiven. Be now at peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.